Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. One of our episodes this week was about Xi Jinping versus the United States, also about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Over the years, we've gotten several requests to talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act, and it's always been a little tricky because it's like that's something we've talked about as part of context so much, I feel like. Um, (laughs) We've talked about it so much. If you had asked me without letting me look at the archive list, I would have told you, surely we've done that already. Yeah. Um, And and so it's like it has come up most of the time when we've been talking about sort of the arc of immigration law and the arc of immigration into the United States and uh, a lot of times, discrimination also. It's been part of that whole context. And then with more lengthy discussions and things like uh, the the Delano Grape Strike and the Executive Order 9066 episodes, um, which then are specifically about just uh, discrimination against a specific group of people that were sort of part of that whole process of how the U.S. was doing. Uh, discriminating against different groups of people or sometimes very similar groups of people in the context of immigration. Um, I have found it challenging to do episodes that are about a law. And even with something like the Executive Order 9066 episodes, I kind of look back on them and I'm like, I I feel like that's a little, they came off as a little impersonal. And like this was a, um, a matter for policy discussion and not a something that that meaningfully affected actual people. And so when I chose this topic, I was like, okay, uh, doing this um, about Chai Chomping will let us focus more on a person and have this story be contextualized through a person who has, you know, a face and a life and a history. And then as I got into it, I was like, wow, we know almost nothing about this person besides that he was a laborer. I'm not even really confident that we have a good sense of what his name actually was um, because I could not find it written in Chinese anywhere and all of the places that it appears are court documents and newspaper reports and who knows how that was Romanized right. at the time. And so I, um, it was one of those things where I was like, I have been totally unsuccessful in what I was trying to achieve with the selection of the focus for this topic, but I also can't can't let it go. <laughs> it's going to be an episode now. There you go. Yeah, it is. It's. I feel like in so many ways, I mean, this is stating the obvious, the Chinese Exclusion Act has shaped this country so significantly in ways that we don't always acknowledge or think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, particularly, obviously, on the Pacific Coast, but the fact that it has come up in so many episodes that I would have thought we had done one on it indicates how much of an impact it has had and still has in many ways. We don't don't know what our country would look like if these things had not been done. Right, right. Um, One of the things that really became clear in my mind when we were doing the episode on the Delano grape strike was this cycle in uh, in U.S. history, but also specifically on the West Coast and in California about uh, needing cheap labor, trying to find a source for the cheap labor. 
becoming threatened by that cheap labor source and banning it, but then needing another source of cheap labor and going through the exact same thing over again. And it's really frustrating and disheartening to look at. And this episode uh, similarly clarified for me something that I have heard people say so much over the last several years about how uh, when something um, horrific or offensive will happen in the news and people will say, this is not who we are. And it's like, except it is though, like our very first immigration law as a nation was about excluding Chinese people And then that law about excluding Chinese people fed into the plenary power doctrine, which just uh, is not exactly a blank check for uh, for Congress to legislate immigration however it wants, but it's, like, pretty close to a blank check. Yeah, it's it's depressing. You see how dehumanizing that cycle is. Yeah. Right, where it's like, we don't, we only see you as means to an end, not as people with lives and interests and loves and families of your own. So we got to fix that problem and we'll right. just make a new problem the exact same way dehumanizing another group of people. Um, yeah, it's very depressing. Yeah. This is definitely not one of the more uh, positive episodes to have been worked on in a while. But I do thank everybody because it's been, uh, I would call it um, a a steady trickle of requests over a period of years for an episode specifically about the Chinese Exclusion Act. And although this episode wasn't just about the Chinese Exclusion Act, I feel like it fits that bill. If you do want something that is specifically about the Chinese Exclusion Act and its impact the American Experience documentary on the Chinese Exclusion Act uh, is, as of when we're recording this, which is on March 30th, it is playing for free on the PBS website. Um, it is extremely good. It's a couple of hours long, so it's a it's a m- broader look than we can really do in the context of an episode of the show or even a two-parter on the show. Um, and gets into aspects that we didn't really talk about. Um, I also... Uh, last week, it's blurred together, uh, went to a talk with several of the people who were part of the American Experience team. It was a virtual talk about uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act and anti-Asian hate in the U.S. and um, how those things have fed into one another. So um, I highly, highly recommend that American Experience documentary for anybody who has access to uh, the PBS website or PBS otherwise, um, which I... I think it's going to still be online by the time this episode comes out. Fingers crossed. Uh, this week, we talked about the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. We did. We did. So this is one that I have a lot of history with. <laughs> <laughs> because when I was a kid, I lived there. Uh-huh. Uh, my dad was stationed at McCord. So, like, all of this feels very, um, very, I don't know if hometowny is the right way. I haven't lived there in a long, long time. But mm-hmm. uh, very familiar and, like, a little bit like home. Um, <laughs> one thing, the octopus story gets me because I, growing up there, we, um, my family has always liked fishing and particularly deep sea fishing. And we would take our boat out and pass through the narrows. And we had so many friends who would claim stories that a king octopus or a similar giant Pacific octopus had suctioned to the bottom of their boat as they were passing through the narrows. And, like, one of my dad's friends claimed he had to shoot it off with a shotgun and, like, crazy stories. Like, people 
love to talk about that that octopus. And I was a little bit afraid of it as a kid. I was like convinced an octopus was going to suck us down as we passed underneath the the Narrows Bridge. Um, I will say this is not a delightful thing, but I'm glad it's over. There was a period of time before I existed uh, where they would have octopus wrestling Whoa. Um, there because of this legend of the the octopus where basically divers would go out, dive down to the wreckage of the bridge, try to find an octopus and bring it back on land. Listen, an octopus doesn't want to wrestle with you. It's literally going to gasp for air and mm. you can put it back in the water, which sometimes they did, or like it will perish. And so eventually, after several decades of this, which was apparently a big deal for a long time, um, you know, people started to realize this is not cool mm-hmm. and they stopped doing it but it's one of those things where I'm like why did you ever think this was yeah humans do some strange stuff for entertainment that's what I can tell you yeah yeah for sure uh, I think I've probably driven across that bridge one time because uh, I'm pretty sure one of the times that I went to the Seattle area to visit my brother and sister-in-law we um, went to a restaurant in Tacoma <laughs> Logically, we would have driven across the bridge to get there, uh, but I have no recollection of it otherwise. So you're telling me no, no octopus came to visit you? No or octopus show came it's... to visit. <laughs> um, no, uh, we saw an octopus at the aquarium, though. That was. <laughs> Listen, those GPOs are cute. Yeah, I am a big fan of the. Uh, of the octopus in general. And GPOs are really fascinating. They are, um, I have had the good fortune at one point in my life to interact with one. They're like kitties of the sea. Like they want to be petted. They'll wrap their tentacle around you and like, you know, let you stroke them. And Mm -hmm. allegedly they can identify people by smell. Mm. So like, and taste. So they'll taste your skin. And if you were to go visit that same octopus again, it would be like, oh, you're Holly. You're that person that is weird and loves me. Um, <laughs> I don't want to hug you. Please get away. Uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing, right? You There's so much sort of legend around it. And I remember my parents talking about the bridge falling as this almost like a spooky story even though they didn't live in Washington when that happened. Mm-hmm. They would have been tiny if that had been the case anyway. Um, but <laughs> it's very, it's one of those things um, that I have such strong childhood memories of this particular bridge and all of the lore around it. So right. it was very fun to like dig in and really look at, like I said in the episode, the bureaucracy of the whole thing. <laughs> um that insurance fraud situation was a fabulous yeah. gem that I had not known previously. Yeah. I also liked the, we're going to make a corporation so that we can get more loan money, but then we're going to sell the bridge back to the, the county. Yeah. There's a lot of dicey weirdness involved there. Um, there's a lot of dicey weirdness uh, involved in a lot of oh, projects yeah. of this nature that oh, just particularly... Yeah duck out at me. <laughs> right? Um, in a, a sort of sad thing, I think it was his granddaughter, uh, Leon Mosieff's granddaughter, who really said, like, her father, who was working with her grandfather at the time, truly believed that, like, the stress of this whole thing was what led to his heart attack shortly thereafter, which I can imagine. Oh, for uh, sure. You know, if you are that associated with that many large-scale projects that all function the same way as the one that catastrophically fails and mercifully did not claim any human life, 
Like you're just waiting for the other shoe yeah, to drop all the time. Yeah, I would probably spend the rest of my life being terrified. Yeah. Yeah, I um he's an interesting figure. I didn't get into it a lot in this episode, but he's a very divisive figure. People there are people that still paint him as sort of the villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. But like there is also an award named after him um for you know like great achievement in engineering. So he is also lauded for, you know, his uh, incredible contributions to engineering in infrastructure in the the US and abroad. So that's a, a whole other whole other interesting <laughs> story. He could probably be an episode on his own. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever do that one, but it's uh, it's worth examining at some point for people if they ever just want to dig into that whole story. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the octopus. King octopus. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that this is one of those things we can talk about that is... A catastrophe and not a horrible tragedy. Right. Since people did mercifully get off the bridge. Um, There are debates about who was the last vehicle off the bridge. Mm -hmm. So I didn't include that because there's not a a consensus on that matter. Um, It is really fascinating to watch that footage of, you know, people crawling to get to safety because they cannot walk. It's moving so much. Yeah. Even in its slowed down footage, which is the the more accurate, I still can't imagine trying to like put one foot in front of the other on that situation. No, no. I think one of the reasons that um, a lot of the footage and and descriptions of this bridge really stuck with me is that when I was a kid, I was terrified of heights. So the idea of a bridge sort of shredding itself to pieces underneath me in a high place was like particularly scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would have to ask people I knew when I was a kid that, that were there after I had moved away. I moved away long before I started to drive. But similarly, I, I moved to another place that had a, a long bridge um, in northwest Florida. And I remember when you got your driver's license, driving across that bridge was kind of one of those things where, like, mm-hmm. people were a little afraid to do it. But eventually, I always did, and I imagine the same thing has held true for the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, mm-hmm. even even though it is, you know, a much bigger structure. Um, I mean, I know the first time I drove across the Golden Gate Bridge, and I was a fully grown adult that had a lot of driving under my belt at that point. I still had that moment of like, if one thing goes wrong, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when when I was a kid, my mom and I would take uh, like weekend trips together sometimes. And we like to go to the the mountains of Western North Carolina. And there is a, a thing on the Blue Ridge Parkway, I'm assuming it's still there, called the Lynn Cove Viaduct. And it's a long bridge that goes around the side of the mountain. And we would just turn around <laughs> before we had to cross it anytime we took that trip. This is as far as we go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, uh, driving in conditions like that is scary, even if you are a seasoned driver. <laughs> if you have any anxiety at all, you cannot help but start playing through the, here's what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. What if some other driver loses control and pushes me out? What if I lose control? What if I have some cerebral event and I lose control of the car and take other people? Like, I mean, I don't know about other people, but all of that plays out in rapid motion in my head the second I get on a long bridge. 
And I love to drive. <laughs> and I'll still do it. Feel the fear, but do it anyway. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I also love that they didn't think this was going to be a heavily trafficked bridge. And yeah. now it's like, we had, yeah. to, we had to add another bridge. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, because now it is very heavily trafficked. Obviously, times have changed and population density has shifted and the amount of people commuting has shifted, but... Two lanes will be fine. That will do us. <laughs> uh, so hopefully you don't have any scary driving scenarios uh, and you are about to enjoy a wonderful weekend. If you have time off, I hope you make the most of it and you get to relax and enjoy it. If you do not get the luxury of time off this weekend, I hope that whatever your endeavors or occupations are go smoothly and that everyone treats you kindly and that we are all staying safe. We'll see you right back here tomorrow with a classic and Monday with a new episode. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.